Hey there, friends, and welcome to New Light Sports. This is evolving sports coverage for an evolving world. From the Zen Room Studios, I'm Andrew Oster. Now we're back for part two of our deeper look at the relationship and its implications for sports and technology. We're going to pick up right where we left off in part one. And also in this episode, stay tuned for the show's spotlight feature, a Signs of Light. If you missed part one of this episode, go back and listen to part one and then come back here in part two. We're going to slipstream right back into where we left off for this episode. And always, and anytime you feel the need, visit newlightsports.com. Leave your light for the show. All right, here we go. Let's highlight some other interesting topic and trends in the fields of sport and tech. Let's look at how analytics are taking a larger influencing role in day-to-day operations and in-game management for sports. You have sports like baseball. Baseball is hugely becoming an analytical sport because it's already super stat-driven and teams are now making managerial and in-game decisions based on analytics. Basketball isn't too far behind. We talked about how the three-pointer has come along largely due to analytical influence and analytical measures. So you have basketball teams making analytic-based decisions for in-game management and long-term operational trends. Endurance sports have used analytics for a while because actually endurance sports, sports like cycling, swimming, running, rowing, they're pretty analytical-friendly because the outcome is pretty quantifiable. It's just to go faster. Like, what makes you go faster? So it's pretty easy to crunch some numbers, take some variables, and you get an end result. And the result is what makes you go faster. The flip side of this, and actually the really interesting cross-section here, is as the business of sports grows and as sports modernizes with modern businessmen taking over, so too are these business-like analytics of big business coming into sports. That's why it may seem so new and foreign and and weird, but it actually makes sense because you have big business people buying sports teams and gaining competitive advantages to them means involving big data and analytical-based decision-making. That's the way big business works. So while the business of sports is growing and growing and growing, so too is going to be the analytics influence in sports because these are numbers people. They like numbers, mostly numbers that have dollar signs in front of them, but they like numbers. So analytics is here to stay. So another interesting kind of highlight of these trends is positive technology. I mentioned earlier techno stress and jokingly asked, are you techno stressed? Honestly, I kind of was when I was researching this episode a little bit. Uh, I was a little overwhelmed and out of my league when researching all this tech stuff because it's not my forte. I'm a, I'm more of an intuitive decision maker, not an analytical decision maker. So yeah, I get techno stressed. 
because I maybe do things the old-fashioned way. I still write things down on paper rather than text myself ideas. So a growing field of research is called positive tech, and it's how you can implement technology to combat techno stress, to make life smoother and easier rather than it making it feel more complicated, which if done wrong, technology can definitely make life feel more complicated. And there's also just some general positive uses of technology out there. Like we talked about in these evolving training and recovery methods in episode seven. No, episode six. And they're pretty high tech. You know, cryotherapy, infrared therapy, infrared saunas, magnetic healing systems, all this uh, compression clothing, you know, that have copper threads woven in to increase the you know, electromagnetic conductivity of your body. Because our bodies are electric. So using some pretty low-tech stuff, we can help bolster these electric systems. Another good use of positive technology is just alternative energies. You can use alternative energies for stadiums, parking lots, facilities. That's a positive use of technology. So that got me to thinking, what are some future, you know, positive, soulful-based technologies that we could implement? First thing that popped in my mind is a charity gambling app. Like, we already have gambling apps. So how do you make something better? You just sprinkle in a little charity to it. It makes it much better. Everything's better with charity and service. Another cool, maybe soulful kind of tech would be like an energy field monitor, like a a person's bioelectric energy field or their brainwave field, like during a game, some of these in-game analytical stuff that the fans could see, like how's this person energy field look and shape during a game? Piggybacking on what we said earlier too, what about some advanced magnetic healing technologies? You know, our bodies are electromagnetic in nature at their basic operating core. So having an advanced magnetic healing technology isn't that far-fetched. But, you know, with all these positive tech and all these like technological advancements, I think tech can only go so far in this aspect because as all our current machines, they'll never really be able to manipulate, you know, our essence, our spirit. And I don't think they'll really be able to utilize any type of organic intuition that humans possess. We're still not there because we have current knowledge limitations on actually how our bodies work. Like we really don't know all that much as much as we think we do. So for now, as long as, you know, our current limitations are making the tech, tech is limited. And humans still have the advantage in utilizing more intuitive healing, intuitive knowing, intuitive processes. I don't think machines or tech are going to be there anytime soon because they're really only as good as the humans who made them. One other interesting topic is the classic stylist argument of an athlete of how they play the technician versus the artist are you the the engineer who thoughtfully plan and execute your way through a game or are you the artist who creatively paints their way and displays their soul flows through a game oh it's always the classic argument and actually on this i would love your light your input message me at the website at newlightsports.com which are you? Which aspects are you? Are you both? 
Do you lean more towards the artist? Do you lean more towards the technician? Leave your light at newlightsports.com in the messaging tab, and we can do a follow-up episode on which aspects you are and why you trend, why you feel one is better for you than the other. So, moving along in this episode, we've looked at the big picture, the eagle-eye view of how tech and sport relate. We've looked at a little micro-picture of the intersections of tech and sport. We've also looked at some specific trends of tech and sport and specific topics. And now we're going to take a step back. We're going to put on our philosophical hats, so to speak, here. And we're going to look at the implications of technology use in sports, whether it be positive or negative or unanswerable. So one question is, is there too much analytics in sports? Is there too much specialization in sports? Because analytics, statistics, and tech, they like quantifiable, objective outcomes. You know, tech likes it when data can be organized, objectified, and categorized into its own little silos and studied. This promotes specialization because it's really hard to objectively quantify these holistic it factor that we as humans are intrinsically made of. You know, we are expansive beings. So tech has a condensing feel to it. It's trying to condense and tech crunch the numbers. That's a condensing, contractive energy. I mean, how many times have we heard this trite phrase from a broadcaster or reporter? You know, they do more than what shows up on the stat sheet every night because you can't put on the stat sheet this it factor. Some people are just gamers. Some people do more to affect the outcome of a sport than what shows up in analytics. Sometimes, and this question begs the question, this question at its heart asks, are we just stat junkies too much now? Or again, is this the norm and is it just weird? I don't know. Something to think about. And I really think the answer to this question really differs based on your perception. There's no single answer to this question, because as we talked about earlier, so as more of these modern businessmen get into the business of sports, so too will this reliance on these business-like analytics. So it's here to stay, whether you think it's too much or not. Another good question is, does tech slow down the pace of play? In certain sports, pace of play is a big issue because, as I said, fans drive the sporting experience these days, and we don't want to be bored to death watching a sport. So with all these technological advancements and implementations and putting tech more into games, is it slowing down the pace of play too much? I mean, there's more TV timeouts. That totally slows down the game. You know, anybody who's been to a live sport knows, especially like a football game or basketball game, and in a lot of replay reviews, we have a lot of technological replays and challenges, you know, coaches' challenges or officials' challenges, referee challenges. That slows the game down a lot. There's sometimes in an NFL game, it takes them like three or four minutes to decide a call. Sometimes they have to cut to commercial, come back, and then figure out this challenge. A positive implementation of these official replays has been FIFA's VAR, the Virtually Assisted Referee 
where they have a control room, they're able to quickly make a decision and a ruling on the play, and they don't lose the game flow. The flow of the game stays up because soccer is based on flow. You can't slow it down. So I think FIFA's implementation of this at the most recent World Cup and soon coming to the Premier League is going to be this VAR technology. I think that's a positive and a useful use. Well, it's good English. Yeah. For this technology. Another way tech can slow a game down is with analytics-based substitutions that we talked about earlier. In baseball games, this is a huge issue. Last year's World Series was nearly unwatchable because there are so many pitching changes based on the analytic data of what pitchers should face certain batters, what substitutions needed to be made. It's a little slow in basketball, and it actually can be very slow in golf. But again, like in sports like hockey and soccer, where flow of the game is pretty integral, there's not an issue with it because they either implement these replay technologies correctly because they know an important aspect of their game is flow. So I think those are sports to look for positive examples of how to implement it correctly. Another question that we have on the implications of sport and tech in our world is, is there too much reliance on tech to train and prepare? You know, what's the deteriorating effects of these prolonged exposure to the electromagnetic fields of all this technology around us? It's nothing that's really been studied for too long because the technology hasn't been around for too long. So if an athlete or player is constantly hooked up to machines or being analyzed or videographed, I don't know what a videograph is, but that, that could be something. What's the long-term effects of all this EMF, all these electromagnetic frequencies going through the air affecting our bodies? Athletes are supposed to perform well. I don't think getting zapped by radiation all the time is super helpful. You know, and at what point and at what benefits lost do we really forget to utilize and tap into our own highly evolved and sophisticated body knowledge? You know, our own innate body awareness. If we rely on tech too much, do we forget to use our own body knowledge, which has developed over the millennia? No matter what school of human evolution thought you come from, our bodies have evolved and been fine-tuned for much longer than tech has been around. So at what point do you forget to use that and rely too much on tech? Something to ponder. And I really think, like we talked about earlier, the most visible and biggest change in the tech and sport world is in the media. The media coverage changes. How we're changing broadcasting, streaming, and viewing of sports. How the fan interaction has changed. This is a huge topic. This is a collegiate level topic that people study in school. But some of the more interesting trends that pop out and that I think we need to be more aware of are going to be these this shift to what they call OTT streaming viewing services. It means over the top, which is the media term for, you know, like on top of your cable bill. The extras, like HBO. You're seeing a lot more of that, a lot more specialized packages made for either a specific sports fan or a sports league or a team. I think the forerunners of this were MLB Network, the NBA. These leagues have their own league pass where you get a subscription to their channel and you get all their games, full access. You know, we're going to see in this changing broadcasting and changing media world, it's going to be more specialized pay-per-sport type of stuff. 
these league-wide team-based packages. You know, I take a look at what NBC Sports Gold is doing. That's their subscription-based sports streaming services. I'll say that five times fast. You know, you can buy the PGA Tour package, the Premier League package, motocross, snow sports package. It's stuff that they offer. There's also Flow Sports out there. Flow Sports offers streaming access to all these niche sports, you know, and streaming services for college sports that you might not normally get. So it really is the future of these more on-demand app-based technologies, these over-the-top technologies. And we're not talking arm wrestling. I'm sure you could pay for that too. Now, how fans can watch games, the implication of the fan interaction is going to change hugely with tech. We're talking more camera angles, viewers being able to choose which camera angle they want, virtual reality immersion experiences. You want to sit courtside? There's going to be a a virtual reality courtside cam. Instant replays. Anytime you want. Highlights. Anytime you want. In the Premier League, too, there's going to be a new TrueView highlight package, and that's going to be coming to a lot of sports in the future, too. So this is Intel's new 3D-modeled virtual reality replay system where they put 38 ultra-high-def cameras around the field. So you can get immersive highlights for your favorite sports teams. And obviously, teams are going to use this, too, for advanced video analytics, like we talked about earlier. So you're going to have all these real innovative ways to watch sports. This is going to change the most. So what was interesting was the owner and managing partner and governor, I don't know how you get that title, of the Boston Celtics, Wyclef Wick Grousebeck. He's a pretty tech-savvy guy. He's actually a you know, venture capitalist who invests in a lot of sports and technology companies. He's heavily invested in this intersection. And in a recent interview with Forbes, he really thinks that we're only about 10% of the way to connecting sports teams to their fans. So he thinks that there is 90% room for growth in this new innovative marketplace. And I'm telling you, that's what we're going to see the most. Get ready. But, you know, he's a pretty human guy, too. He still gets that sports is about the human connection. And in the interview, one of his quotes I liked was, I like the authenticity of the real connection, you know, this in-person connection. But digitally, we can make this a global stadium, end quote. So he gets the human aspect of sport, but he's all about the tech to give, you know, the Boston Celtic fan in Durban, South Africa, a chance to sit courtside. And that sounds pretty cool, actually. Also, there's so much money being thrown at this, this can't be discarded because media companies and broadcasting services see the value in live sports. So just last year alone, 89 out of the 100 most top-watched TV programs were live sports programs. 89 out of the top 100 most-watched TV programs last year were live sports. So some other interesting implications, I think, are, you know, picking a sport and seeing what tech effects have had. So I just picked a couple of sports that we haven't talked about in depth and a couple of ones that I'm knowledgeable about, a couple of the ones that I personally like. Let's just go a little sport by sport and just look at the highlights of how 
tech has affected these sports. Now, they're not mainstream. These are just interesting observations. So I'm going to start with uh, surfing. See, in surfing, tech has definitely elevated the equipment upgrades because, I mean, just in the field of wetsuits alone, the wetsuits are warmer, more comfortable, stretchier. That creates such a better experience. So that's a positive implementation of technology, if you ask me. The wetsuits that I used to wear when I was a little kid compared to the wetsuit that I wear now, night and day. I might as well have been wearing like a old crabbing suit when I was younger compared to this athletic, form-fitting, super stretchy suit I have today. So I think any technology advancement in equipment that makes things easier, that makes the sport easier, you know, a little more forgiving, more accessible, that's a positive implementation of technology for sports. Because then if things are easier and they're more fun, you're going to have more people playing sports. And that's a positive. More people expressing themselves, more people getting the benefits of playing. Because that's what's at the heart here today. Don't forget, if you're techno-stressed right now, sports is still about heart and playing and just having fun. So some of these tech advances that make sports more fun are great. Also in surfing, internet surf forecasting and meteorology has really become a pretty big niche market. So with internet surf forecasting, with services like Surfline, there definitely is a convenience, but I think it's a perceived convenience because the real question is, at what cost is this service affecting me? And honestly, in one aspect, it's good because I think the surf forecasting helps you surf more because with most of us needing a work-life balance, you kind of sometimes need to schedule a surf. It's super awesome if we can just flow with it, man. I'll just surf when the waves get good. But most people have day jobs or have obligations. Being able to know when surf is going to be good and maybe try and schedule that, that helps you surf more, then that's a positive because surfing more is better for us. And any surfer who knows, if you aren't surfing, you're kind of going to get stressed out. So anytime you get in the water more, that's good. Yeah. But also, with that comes more crowded lineups because you're not the only one who's planning to surf that day. Especially in more crowded parts of the world, internet surf forecasting has definitely crowded lineups. And especially when the forecast is kind of wrong, especially when they overblow it, as Surfline does all the time, it's more crowded than it warrants for the quality of the surf, you would say. So honestly, I view internet surf forecasting as a net negative. I think it adds more stress than it actually gives a positive to the surf world. That's just me. Now, look at like snow sports. So in snow sports like skiing, snowboarding, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, bobsledding. Not too many people bobsled, but hey, it's a snow sport. So again, this equipment upgrades have helped the sport big time. Skis and snowboards, yeah, and bobsleds. They've come such a long way in the past 20, 30 years. The equipment is so much more forgiving. It's so much easier. It's easier to learn, easier to have fun out there. That's a big positive. But it comes at a cost, and actually a hit-your-wallet type of cost. 
because this good new equipment is expensive. So again, we're talking about this access gap, this technology widening this access and opportunity gap. Yeah, the good equipment's nice, but it's expensive. One negative aspect of tech and snow sports is now this kind of more analytics-based ticket pricing. Unless you get locked in at a season ticket price, you know, if you're just going for a day or two, they have analytic-based ticket pricing, which knows that if you go on a day that snows or a day that's going to be more popular, the ticket prices go up. And they have statistics to back that up. It is kind of weird that if you want to go skiing when it snowed, which kind of is the whole point of skiing, you're going to pay more because it's fresh snow. It's a supply and demand, I guess, but it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Kind of seems counterintuitive. And again, that kind of widens this access gap because you want to go when the conditions are good. It's the most fun, but it's also going to be most expensive now. That's a negative implementation of technology to me. So I know I mentioned it a couple times, but I'll mention it again. So golf. The technological increases in golf equipment are, again, like snow sports, huge over the last 20 or 30 years. And they've positively affected the game because the equipment is more forgiving than it ever has been. Hitting these nice new big drivers compared to the old tiny little metal woods that they used to be, the clubs are so much more forgiving. So that's easier, makes it more enjoyable to play, more people can play it and get all the benefits of playing. That's a positive implication of tech. Also, I really feel like golf, and along with a lot of other sports too, I'll just throw out there, but golf especially has really benefited from all these like high def TV cameras. You know, like I remember when HD TV first came out and you, you were watching sports and you're like, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh, this looks great. Because <laughs> anybody who remembers like kind of old grainy TV, when sports went HD, it was a big deal. Like, and I think golf has benefited the most from it. Because one of the reasons we like to golf is to get out in nature. Now, there's an argument if it's true nature or not. But golf courses overall are pretty aesthetically pleasing. They're green. Lots of landscaping. Lots of trees. So you get some good camera angles. That makes fan interaction in the viewership so much better. So here's an interesting, especially in golf. This is a great topic. This is a great open-ended question. And that's cell phone use on the course. Is it good etiquette or is it, or you should even use cell phones on the course? Because one of the reasons we play sports is to immerse ourselves in this experience of play and get in a flow state and, and walk around and breathe and stay focused and immerse and get the full experience. But if you're on your phone during this flow state, that can totally interrupt it and you'd have to kind of restart the flow. So everybody is so tied to their tech and to their phones now cell phone use is just accepted like no matter where you are like dinner conversations it's just kind of accepted whether it's right or wrong i mean on the course it's a hot debate you can see the age difference in the debate too it's like stuffy old guy you know tuck your shirt in guy do not use your cell phone on the course and oh if any music comes out of your cell phone oh lord have mercy yeah so i think the the cell phone use while playing golf is such a perfect microcosm for our relationship with technology because are we so tied to it and we need to stay connected and interactive and texting people and listening to music or eh, taking photos is one thing too but the use of our tech in our pocket 
can we not put that down for a couple hours just to go play sports? Do we need to have tech with us to play sport? That's a great question. And it's, to me, a perfect microcosm of tech and sport. So as we've talked about throughout this episode, we're coming to the conclusion here of this ride, this view, this journey through the landscape of tech and sport. And if you're techno-stressed right now, that's okay. You're not alone. But it's something we need to be aware of as we're moving into this territory. And like we said in podcast episodes two and three, sports reflect our societal values on things. And right now in our society, we place a huge value on technology. And the deeper sense and the bigger picture, it's mostly because our society is our the patriarchy, our male thinking dominated way of being. Our operating mode is very male dominated. And in the holistic neuroscience sense, flipping technology on itself here, the male dominated brain, the male dominated hemisphere of the brain is analytic based where you would say the female dominated part of the brain is the creative base, the left versus the right brain. So in our male dominated society, the analytical dominated society, we value tech a lot in our society. And you see that reflected in our sporting worlds as well. It's not bad, but is it out of balance? Something to ponder. So as sports reflects our societal values on technology use and implementation, one thing to ponder is that tech's rapid advancement and sometimes hasty implementation in our lives It kind of gives us a great comfort. It gives humans such confidence that we're doing good and we can solve problems and we can conquer the world. But is this a false confidence? Is this a superficial comfort that tech gives the human race? Because at some point, if you rely on this, tech will be a part of our decline. If we don't build our foundation with an authentic, true sense of self, an organic comfort, kind of, you know, like a comfortable in your own skin type of way where you don't need outside influences, where you can put the cell phone down for a little bit because, you know, the world is not a dangerous place that we need to conquer with tech. You don't need to understand everything because in the deepest sense, understanding tries to mask fear. Like when we understand something, we don't fear it. So this push towards tech overall in our world is trying to mask our fear that we have within the world. Because sometimes we feel that the world is an unsafe place because in the past it might have been unsafe to us personally in our childhoods growing up and then collectively as a human race. We sometimes feel the world is unsafe. So the male-dominated response is to use technology to conquer it. That's the big eagle eye picture. So you see that implemented in sports a lot. But what we can't forget is that the heart is more powerful than tech. Our hearts are more powerful than our brains. Our hearts actually produce a larger magnetic field than our brains. Our heart is a bigger energy center, a bigger electrical center than our brains are. So in the world out there, and in the sports world too, 
we can't forget our natural tools that we have, our intuition, our discernment, our emotional guidance, the mysterious power of a team and group focusing their energy together, these innate body awareness that we possess, the power of our own body, the power of our own body to heal ourselves, the power to self-heal, the power to self-regulate our own energy systems, to self-regulate our breathing, to self-regulate our blood flow, to balance our own imbalances. Because I'll tell you, you know, our body listens to us. There's an acronym I heard once from a wise person, and it was called, well, CAL, C-A-L. Cells are listening. Your cells are listening to you always. So if you're relying on tech to tell you what your body's doing and how you feel, I think it's time to check in with yourself to really see how you're doing and how you feel. And then tell your cells what to do because they respond to you. Like I said earlier, the heart's magnetic field is bigger than the brain. And it actually, they've measured it, it extends out and kind of envelops our whole body. And the theory is that there's a kind of hidden communication within this heart field that can send messages to the rest of our body. So if you can send a heartfelt message to your body, your body's listening. It'll hear. The heart is more powerful than tech. Now there's beneficial uses of tech. You know, running with music, kind of nicer than running without music, preferably for me. So tech isn't bad. And male-dominated thinking isn't bad. But an imbalance is unhealthy. So such a male-leaning thinking of tech will solve our problems, if not balanced out by the more feminine, intuitive, creative way of thinking to solve problems, that's unhealthy. When you can bring the balance to the imbalances, that's where you can truly rise because you have a steady foundation. So if you're techno-stressed, take some deep breaths, Use tech wisely, put some good music on your phone, take some pictures, but just know that your heart will always overcome and be stronger than tech. So as we transition away from the implications and the tech versus sports world, we do as we do on all shows, and we have our show spotlight feature. And in this show, it's going to be a Signs of light. It's light in my eyes. This episode's sign of light is a seemingly dark on the surface, but there is light underneath. I don't know why I felt like forewarning you on that. This week's sign of light is the recent legal accusations made against famous Patriots owner Robert Kraft. So a couple of weeks ago, the owner of the NFL's New England Patriots, Bob Kraft, he's a really visible owner. He's alleged and accused of involvement in a human trafficking ring down in South Florida. Now, that may be a little overblown because basically what he is accused of and alleged to have committed is a prostitution crime. But prostitution in this country isn't what it seems. And this is, again, one of those signs of light where this is good. Now stay with me here. This is like we use the analogy when you're cleaning your room 
and you have that dirty corner that you never touched because the bookshelf was there. But when you actually do a deep cleaning and you kind of move the bookshelf and you see that corner and see how dirty it is, you're a little shocked. It's like, oh gosh, I'm dirty. I'm that dirty. But it's always been there. And you only see it because you shine a light on it. You've brought the dirt and the darkness to the light of day so that it can be cleaned. It's actually a good thing because once you see it, you want to clean it. So the greater sign of light in all of this, and I'm sad to say that it does take somebody who has a seemingly really good reputation as Robert Kraft to kind of be the you know, poster man. He's the example. He's the example to be made because there needs to be a light shown on this dirty corner of our society that is human trafficking. Human trafficking is basically, no, it's not basically, it is modern day slavery. And that to think that this country went through all it went through to abolish slavery, but still turns a blind eye to modern day and forms of enslavement is appalling. So to really get the attention of this story and to use Robert Kraft as an example, it just needs to be done. Now, there's other high profile and really influential and big name people that have been involved in this reign in South Florida, too. You know, former CEOs and heads of very large organizations, but none are as visible as Mr. Robert Kraft. And this isn't a total condemnation on his whole life or his whole personality and his essence. By all accounts, he's a pretty nice guy. He's really visible. He does a lot for his community. He gives tons to charity. Actually, I think he recently just won what is considered the Jewish Nobel Prize. It's the Genesis Award. I mean, I don't know, whatever you believe in awards. But he's getting an award for his business acumen and his charitable giving. So he's obviously doing something right. He just happened to keep neglecting his dirty corner. And it's our collective dirty corners of our rooms that we need to clean now. Now, there is actually an interesting new twist to this. And I think this is a really cool opportunity where sports can come in and can act as this healing mechanism. And here's where it is specific to Bobby Kraft's situation, is that the New England Patriots play at Gillette Stadium. Gillette recently has a new advertising campaign called the best men can be. It's a play on words of their well-known advertising slogan, the best a man can get. But their new advertising campaign was highlighting what people would call modern day world is a toxic masculinity of inappropriate male behavior that is encouraged just because, oh, that is the way it is. So there's a really interesting intersection here, and I see it as an opportunity for Robert Kraft to work with Gillette on this The Best Men Can Be campaign. Now, I know the legal issues have to play themselves out because this is still a very new story and a very developing story, but there is a chance here, and this is where sports can help the healing. Sports are visible. Sports are powerful. The New England Patriots are perennial Super Bowl contenders. They're one of the most visible organizations and visible winners in the whole world. So there's a great chance for good here. And Robert Kraft is not the victim. The New England Patriots fans, they're not the victims, even though they'll play the victims. The victims are these slaves in this modern day human trafficking. And that this can be highlighted is actually really great. 
and the fact that they play at Gillette Stadium and Gillette has an advertising campaign highlighting toxic masculinity is even a bigger opportunity. And he's a pretty savvy business guy. I think he's going to put these connections together. I love that, you know, the Chinese symbol for opportunity also means crisis. Crisis is an opportunity. Opportunities come from crisis. The good fact that these Chinese sex slave workers were rescued from this Florida day spa called Orchards of Asia Day Spa, that there can be an opportunity from this crisis with all the pieces that seemingly are in place and that that bookshelf has been knocked over and you see that dirty corner, there's an opportunity to clean this up and to address this. And that's this episode's Sign of Light. All right, everyone, that is wrapping up this podcast, this big look at tech and sport. So log on to the website. I want to see, are you the artist? Are you the technician? Come on to newlightsports.com and leave your light for the show. What sports do you love that you see this intersection of tech and sport having positive and negative implications and maybe what ways to make it better? Leave your light for the show at newlightsports.com. All right. Be well. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves and spread some light around out there. Will you? Will you just spread some light? And go ahead and look at things with this new lens that we have in the seemingly tech-obsessed world. Don't forget your own innate tools of heart, body awareness, emotional guidance, intuition. The heart is more powerful than tech. Tech is a great tool, but it will not be outdone by heart. And heart and joy and sport and play are the heart, pun intended, of sports. I'll catch you guys all next time. Adios. Adios.